श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री कृष्ण जन्माष्टमी महामोत्सव तिथि की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेम आनंदे गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन so in the, in the evenings this week we've we've been gathered here together for about a week or so in uh, celebration of Krishna Janmashtami and we've been discussing avatar tattva so that means the, the principle tattva of the truth about if you will the the crossing over tara means to cross so avatara so crossing from up to down so the outreach of of the godhead from above to below to to us to use a spatial explanation about something that transcends time and space and uh, of course the whole idea of the avatara the crossing over crossing downward to us within our frame of reference which is limited then by language and thought and 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 reason and so forth uh, is the whole purpose of that is to take us out of our frame of reference which is rather small in comparison to what what's out there and in there and um the unfortunate circumstance is such that uh, that oftentimes that crossing over that descent um is misunderstood because rather than allowing it in its various forms avatars descent descends to take us beyond our frame of reference the, the kind of world of our mind and form as it is by our perceptions through the senses as i've often said we and we get messages that through our senses that relay on our brain and and in our mind we make determinations of good and bad and happy and sad and these are all the waves on the on the vritti on the chitta on the, the ocean of our perceiving capacity that makes the waters turbulent and uh full of emotional ups and downs such that uh we get a little seasick from that and um and nonetheless as see sickening as it may be as frustrating as it may be the the small world of our likes and dislikes our hearts our colds our goods and bads the world of our mind which distinguishes us from the world of our neighbor's mind to one extent or another causing some inevitable clash as small as that world is we tend uh, often to want everyone else to fit within it even though it's not comfortable for us this is an unreasonable kind of proposal but to a large extent it's how we tend to conduct ourselves in in material life so that uh, being the case we want the avatar to also fit within our world of our mind and do we want to date him or her and uh, analyze such an auspicious event that is transrational from a rational uh, point of view and this whole process is kind of takes the life out of anything if you will 
or to speak of the descent of the Godhead. In other words, what I'm saying is that when we look at the world from the perspective of our, of our mind, when we bring the world into our mind is really what we do. We don't really see the world, but on our chitta, as it's explained in yoga, then a reflection of what the world appears there. And with all these waves of thoughts, it's a distorted picture. And in this picture, what I guess what makes it comfortable for us, as uncomfortable as it is, is the thought, if you will, or the hope that, well, the sense that we're big, I guess, that we're important, that we're not, that we're, that we're, have a, a mark to make, we're central in many respects. And uh, so that's uh, kind of a carrot of it all, that we could be in the center and be the enjoyer. But in the, in the context of pursuing that uh, really nightmare from everybody else's perspective, our dream in this regard is everyone else's nightmare. Everything we look at, we look with eyes of uh, enjoying, which is a nice way to put it, but a more accurate way to put it is exploiting, taking, taking things to serve the purpose that we come up with within our mind, which is very small and has little to do with what the purpose of other things really is or are unto themselves, or as they are seen in the, to be poetic, mind of God. Um, they have a life of their own. Every, uh, so we're like uh, taking the life out of everything, practically. And that's you know why we're, we suffer from the greatest sin of boredom. Uh, we don't find life to be as exciting as it actually is. Because we don't see it as it is. We, we try to control it. We feel it's out of control. And that's discomforting. And uh, we don't want to let go, and and we're real scared to do that, actually. So we're fortified, and as I say, in the world of our mind, and uh, and it's not that exciting. Um, and naturally, others aren't just tickled pink about it either. <laughs> so it feels like we're, there's some opposition, <laughs> and there is. It's a lot of opposition, but of course, it's coming from within. It's coming from ourselves, and. Um, and so, well, to speak then, of, we're doing that with everyday things that have much more of a life than we, we realize, that, that uh, have much more to tell us, actually. This is the real vision, much more to, 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 for us to learn from. That's exciting. I mean, going to school can be, you know, exciting. <laughs> Learning things, uh, and, uh, newer and newer, all the time. And, 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 and I mean, you know, important lessons, not just... Uh, extra baggage kind of knowledge that I can show around to make myself feel more important, but real, essential. Nature has something to tell us about what we are. Our own, our own heart does, but it's not allowed to come out very, very well under the oppression of the mind and the senses demands that are, after all, taking us more towards an animality, if you will. A taking, exploiting, disposition than they are toward the spirituality and the giving that the heart poetically is is looked at being is it's a giver so the heart is it's not allowed to come out we're not allowed to be the giver that that we sense in our heart we could be because we're on the take and uh, 
So then, as I say, what to speak of, this is our general kind of uh, modus operandus under the influence of, of uh, the, uh, what we call the maya shakti or the illusory kind of power of the god, the deluding force. And uh, maya also means to measure, so it's this, as again, it's about controlling under that end. We try to conquer and control rather than relax and participate and uh, be the part that we are. It doesn't matter how far we are on the circumference, if we're tied to the actual center, we'll be nourished. And in fact, in one sense, the further we get to the circumference and the more there are in between us in the center, that we have an opportunity to dedicate ourselves to in serving disposition, then the better off we are. If all I mean, the more we can develop, in other words, the serving disposition, as opposed to the taking disposition, <coughs> the giving disposition, as opposed to the exploiting disposition, the better we are. But the more we accept the giving position, the further back we go, in one sense, apparently, from the center. It's like one of my gurus once said that <coughs> Spiritual life is like this. You go to the Haura station. Ever been to, Haura, ever been to Calcutta? Anybody? Well, it's called the armpit of the universe by some people. And, you know, there's some truth to that. It's got good things too, but it, it's not real um, pretty in many respects. And especially the Haura train station. It's like a madhouse. And when the train stops, everybody goes first. I mean, everybody goes first. <laughs> He said, so think of the Howard station, train station, backwards. Everybody says, you first, no, you first, no, you first. And that would be a very different Calcutta. And, um, and so a point being here that the more we develop the giving tendency, the more we're stepping back. No, you first, no, you first. But the closer, actually, we're becoming to the center. Hmm? Although apparently at a distance, because what is that connection? to the center. This is the connection. Patrum pushpam palam toyam. And Krishna says a nice thing in this poem here from the Gita. Patrum pushpam palam toyam yome bhakti prayachati. He says, he says, give me a fruit, a flower, some water with devotion and I, I accept that. So, I mean, we could come forward with money and power and so many things to give and not much devotion. But how close would we would be we, we come to the center. In other words, he he, he says that the the uh, the real offering is the giving that draws you to me. Even if it, I'm great, I have everything. You have nothing, but if you have love, then we're connected. Something like that. So the more we develop the serving disposition, and the more, in one sense, there are others between us and uh, and the center that we're serving, who are serving the closer we are. That's the competition, spiritual kind of competition, spiritual. Spiritual life is capitalistic and communistic at the same time. It's the perfect combination. Hmm? There's, a, there's one center that everyone is serving, as in communism, and there's competition, as in capitalism. Who can serve the best? And so everybody's a winner because the spirit is to serve the center. So if I can compete with you, in such a way that you will outserve me, then I'm happy because this, the center has been served that much more. So it's a capitalistic form of communism in a, in, in a sense. And, um, 
it's a very different way of looking at life than what we're accustomed to. And so to help us come out of that, here's this major historical, if you will, event described in the Puranas. Purana means like a ancient. It's an ancient uh, kind of a kind of a history. The Indians used to think of their books as history books, but they, when we say that, it meant something very different to them than what it means to us. Our sense of history is very different from the ancient Indian idea of history. Our sense of history is to literally, literally as, as literally as as literal as possible, to record events chronologically and get all the details literally. But here you find these historical, if you will, books of ancient India, Puranas, for example, and their poetry. Now, poetry is not a very good language for precision and detail and uh, making a literal description. So you can understand from the very language, it's not trying to literally describe an event, but rather it's trying to convey the feeling and the essence of significant not any event chronologically, but significant spiritual events. So you have these stories of these of this avatara, this crossing over of the Godhead into the world. It's an event that transcends language, reason, mind, but they've got to record it. It happened somehow. <laughs> they don't know how. There's some philosophy to try to explain it and so forth. I mean, what is it? It's love. I mean, the Godhead is coming out of love, so what's the reason for it? What's the how of that and so forth? These are difficult things to sort out. So you give a, get a nice philosophy to explain it to, 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 to a point, and it is philosophical. It is profound, deep, and has huge uh, impact on human society. I mean, it's like head, head, headline news. And this is how the uh, ancient uh, Indians looked at these type of things, and so they tried to explain the event to one extent or another. And they were all, after all, the recorders of such events were themselves lovers. They were plugged into the world in a, in a very different way from, let's say, modern sciences in terms of examining the world and understanding it. They weren't trying to control the world to exploit it and, and, and increase the duration of their lives, materially speaking, they accepted we have to die, <laughs> materially. They acknowledged that this, this, uh, this life and this kind of emotional and psychic and physical sense of being that we have is something that's here today and it will be gone tomorrow, but we will, be, we will endure and if we, we will endure in, in different ways. We will endure, if we are plugged into the world for taking from it, then we will endure when it releases us from one form uh, in another form that, that comes to surround us as the repercussions for our taking. That's called karma, and that's what we call, of course, reincarnation, or even transmigration. The idea is that the self endures and... Um, if it identifies with that which doesn't endure by attachment, then it stays within that plane of experience where things are always changing around it. Just like the seasons change and we see trees grow and 
get old and die. We don't see too many of those because they usually live longer than us. But insects or whatever, things come and things go. That seems to be the case. And our body and emotional makeup will come and go also. As long as we remain, as I say, plugged in in a particular way to the world, partaking from it, there will be repercussions. And our attachment to it will keep us within it. And so things will change around us. That's the idea. We don't kind of go anywhere, but the world keeps changing around us. And we can go somewhere. And how can we go somewhere? That's what this avatar, this crossing over, is about. Re- outreach from the other side, so to speak, come to, to take us up. And not everybody uh, appreciates it, takes advantage of it, but if you have a little inclination to these topics and so forth, don't wait for everybody else. For some reason, it's speaking to you, and it's important. Once my Guru Maharaj gave an example, he said, it's like the UFOs, he said, that UFO comes, lands in your backyard, you know, there you see it, then you go in and tell your friends, and they go, oh yeah, and they look, it's, it's not there. <laughs> but you saw it, but it's not there. And so you, you bent on proving it to people, convincing people, and they just kind of tolerate you, and they're patient, and they start talking about you in the other room, and they're worried about you, and and so forth, and suddenly you feel alienated, and uh, there's, there's nobody to share your your experience with. There's not an ear for it, so you find a group of UFO seers, and <laughs> you kind of get in a sangha with them, and so forth, and then you try to research your experience, my experience, and and the rest of the world uh, thinks you're, you know, as crazy as as you are. And spiritual life is a little bit crazy. It's about it's about being crazy about about God. It's okay to think about God a little bit; that'll be tolerated. But to be crazy about it, that's going too far. Something like that. So, but anyway, if we have a little interest in these topics, as we do in gathering here and so forth, it's it's good to keep good company. That that interest can be can be fueled with good insight, practical insight, philosophical insight, and uh, good example, and inspire us to uh, to kind of change our approach to life. That's what yoga is really about, <coughs> from this taking and exploiting um, kind of outreach to the inward entering, the uh, traveling the inner uh, landscape, and looking out only to share what I've experienced within, to give, and to give in a real sense, I mean, in a profound sense, to give and share that experience that's, you know, like I say, it transcends words, but you try to put it in words, you try to speak about it logically and reasonably and uh, with feeling and so forth. So these are what these kind of books that describe these avatars are about. And we so we have been discussing this principle because the Krishna Janmashtami today is the avatara, the crossing from up to down of Krishna, who is the Purnavatara. Sometimes he's called avatari. Avatari, avatar, avatari. So avatara means, uh, avatari means like the source of the avatara. So that's a nice point to discuss, perhaps. We're talking today about Krishna. We've been talking about the principle in general. It's, it's the avatar tattvas discussed in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita in brief. A real short segue into the theology of the Gita is found there before the actual theology is fully played out in the middle six chapters. The middle six chapters talk about Tat, about the Godhead, about about him, about Radha Krishna. And 
and and the first six talk about twelve, about us and what we are in terms of what we're not. That we are not matter. We're consciousness. We are not part of this uh, duality of uh, uh, of our makeup of hots and colds and goods and bads and happies and sads. No, we are non-dual consciousness. And in the context of understanding that we are non-dual consciousness, we can establish a relationship with the, the source of consciousness. And that source appears in different ways in different avatars. And Krishna's thought to be that the source of all avatars. So that's an interesting concept. Sometimes he's de- described in the encyclopedia as the eighth, eighth avatar of Vishnu. And we're saying here that he's the source of Vishnu. So that's a different perspective. And um, there are different takes on this. That's true. And, and they're all pretty interesting. And um, what they amount to really is is what's called a spiritual kind of bias, if you will, that bhakti is very much about. What I mean by that is if we have a bias, materially speaking, then we're not thought to be objective, right? If the witness is found to be, have had a relationship with that guy, you know, 20 years ago, then maybe she's not credible in this instance. She has a bias. If a politician has a bias, like they do, if they're bought by the corporations and so forth, then to that extent we, we don't trust them. Uh, and we, we don't think they can represent us fairly, with equality and so forth. And obviously we think that spiritual life, and rightly so, is about equality and fairness and, uh, and so forth. So here we are attached in so many ways, so we have, a, we have biases. So we can't see things clearly. If you get too close to something subjectively, then, like I've said before, mother called her blind son, load aside. Because she was blind by love and couldn't see that. Though he was blind, she had. She said, "Oh, you're, he has lotus eyes. Just see my son." Everyone else thinking he's blind. Those aren't beautiful eyes. So she's blinded by her love. So, so when we get too close to a thing, we can't see it as it is. So the one sense spiritual life talks about stepping back from that subjective realm of uh, of our attachments and so forth, so we can see the picture clearly. But in bhakti tradition, the sum and substance of spiritual life is not merely that kind of objectivity. What that is said to do in the bhakti tradition is give us a perspective from which to participate, not from which to be uh, still and detached. In other words, detachment in the bhakti tradition, as I explained once before, detachment, you may recall, is really about getting closer to someone. Not that it sounds like it's about getting further away from someone, but it's about getting closer because it's about not taking from them. Attachment means I'm exploiting them, I need them, so I'm, I'm stepping back from them, apparently, ostensibly, but actually I'm getting closer. And I'm getting a picture of them for what they are unto themselves rather than what they are through the my filter of needs. And so I'm actually getting closer. And, this, and so to take this further, this uh, detachment, when arrived at through the culture of love, which is what bhakti is, love of God, it brings us closer and closer to, to the Godhead. And then what happens is from this detachment starts to come attachment. 
which now no longer is a problem because the attachment is to the, to the object of love, the perfect object of love, the avatar, for example, Krishna, who's pretty beautiful and uh, is, uh, has very attractive uh, leelas and uh, very uh, invitingly uh, portrayed by the mystics who, who have gone to the heart, if you will, of transcendence, the heart of divinity, Krishna. Why do you think, well, how is Krishna the supreme, you know, fountainhead of all avatars? Uh, he's like, he seems attached. If Radha is not happy with him, it's a bad day. He needs to be counseled by his friends. And sometimes she's not happy with him. Or so it appears in the Leela. The Leela, Leela this is a big word. It's, it's, it's drama. But it's the way by which the absolute allows us to get close to it. Because, as I said earlier today, God doesn't need to eat, right? He's full. I mean, he's got everything. What are you going to give the man who has everything? Is the, the proverbial question. What, what, what will I get the man who has everything? So, God has everything. Some people say like that. Well, God has everything. Why should I offer him anything? He has everything. But in Leela, what we find is, 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 is God does eat. And a lot. Krishna especially. And, and he seems to have so many needs and so forth. So he doesn't really have, philosophically doesn't have needs. But because what he is, is, is love personified. Love has a need, a, a no-need need. It's, it's like a, it has a need to share itself. That's the need of love. It's not a need out of lack, but out of fullness. I have a need to share myself to make myself available. I am ecstasy. What to do about that? I have a need. I need to share this. And so, Krishna becomes two. The one becomes two. Radha Krishna Pranay Vikutiladini Shakti Rasmad Ekatmanovapi Buri Deham Bedogatoto Chaitanyakam Prakatam Madunatta Dayam Chaikyam Aptam Radha Bhava Duti Suvalitam Nomi Krishna Surupam. This is talking about moments in eternity, if you will, of the, this the absolute realizing, experiencing, taste, wanting to taste its own ecstasy and, and having the need to share that ecstasy. This is, like I said, this is a need out of fullness. We have needs and we move, but our needs are different. We need out of, move out of, a, out of an obligation because we've, re, we've taken, we owe. So off to work we go. This is a karmic implication. So we, we reaped root, fruits of our previous activities in the form of this body. It has necessities, and so we're, we're busy. Leela may look similar, but it's a very different affair. It's the movement out of out of fullness, out of ecstasy. And so, the one, Radha Krishna Pranaya. Radha Krishna Pranaya. This Pranaya means love. Pranaya is, the, is kind of the basis of, of Prem in many respects, Pranaya. Pranaya means that kind of like, if I love you and I bump into you, I don't think anything of it. I see your body as mine. If I bump into a stranger, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Forgive me, on the street, you know, we try to be courteous and so forth. But this, when we, ourself is extended in love, 
then we are identified with the other person as if they are ourself. Radha and Krishna, they're two, but they're one. Radha, Krishna, Pranay, the love that is, a, that is a unity of we, that's a dynamic unity compared to just two individuals are having a difference, so there's a problem with individuality. If in the name of unity we do away with the two individuals, it's a very static kind of unity. If, if in the name of unity from a musical point of view we just play one note so there's no problems, well, that's not as good as many, many, many notes, right? All playing the same tune. We call it harmony, not monotony. <laughs> so we don't want eternal monotony, if you will, but we want you know, eternal life, ecstasy. And reality is about ecstasy. So the one, pranai. Radha Krishna pranai. Ladini shakti rasmad. There's a shakti, there's a power, there's a potency, internal potency to the Godhead. Just like we have, we're a person and we have energies by which we do things. Hmm? So this, there's some kind of governing potency that conducts the affairs of Leela, that Krishna comes under for the sake of this drama that makes him available to us. Through The one becomes two. I mean, it's a moment in eternity, as I say. It's not a point in time. Radha Krishna Pranay, Ladini Shakti Rasmad. Under the influence of this Ladini. Ladini means... It means bliss, that's what it means. Bliss shakti, the pleasure shakti. That's what conducts these affairs of Leela. It's not like what conducts the affairs of our material life. It's not the pleasure potency. It's the deluding kind of influence. And how happy do you expect to be when we're attached and we're taking? Giving will bring fullness. Uh, and to the extent that we are full, we're going to give. So, Radha Krishna Pranay, Vikriti Ladini Shakti Rasmade Katmano Vapi Bhuipure Deham Vido Vitoto. Krishna becomes Radha to taste himself. Ecstasy personified. Why Krishna? This is our perspective. There are different perspectives, but why our perspective of Krishna is the Avutari? Because we find in Krishna, one thing we find, Krishna is just playing. Shiva's meditating. He looks pretty knowledgeable. And you know, he doesn't wear any clothes, just ashes. He's pretty renounced. Must have an objective view of things, right? He's looking within, not without. But what is he looking at within? <laughs> if you study carefully, he's looking at Krishna within. That is his meditation. Hmm? And what is Krishna doing? Playing the flute, dancing with gopis. Now, what is a renunciate like Shiva doing meditating on love affairs of a young cowherd and his uh, milkmaidens, who apparently, in the drama, belong to somebody else, even. <laughs> that must be different than what it looks like to the naked eye, is the idea. We take from someone like Shiva and think, hmm, it must be different than what it looks like. Leela may look like karma, but it's actually different. There's something else behind it. What it is, again, this, this ecstasy himself, itself, doing what is the necessity of ecstasy, to share itself. So Krishna becomes too as Radha. And Radha becomes, that's another way of looking at it, becomes many, many, many. That's the beginning of Eko Bahu Sham. The one becomes many. And, and so many jivas. She is, after all, Surup Shakti. Some terms you all won't recognize, but forgive me, I have to talk for new and old ones alike. Surup Shakti. 
That is, this, she is the, the primal Shakti. He's, if he's the primal Godhead, she's the primal Shakti. Radha and Krishna. And from her, then, all of the Shaktis expand. So that includes Jeev's Shakti. From the primal Shakti comes the, the, the Shakti that we're constituted of, as well as the deluding Shakti. She presides over all the Shaktis. So there's some connection between the Jiva and Radha. This is the, the, the inside of Thakur Bhakti Vinod. Partial, we're a partial kind of manifestation of that Swarup Shakti, that love power. And Maya is a kind of distorted manifestation of that love power. It has Asat, it's Asat, Achit, Nirananda. It's not real. It's not, has no knowing. And it, Nirananda, it doesn't have any bliss. And the other side we have Satchit Ananda and taken to the extreme Samvit, Ladini, Sandini. So all this love power it's kind of called. So so under the influence of this what is happening happening idea philosophically is the one becomes many for the sake of his own ecstasy. And in order then for that ecstasy, love is reciprocal dealings. So it's a oneness, but there's a there's difference at the same time. Again, Two become we. There's two people there in the we. It's one. We're a unit. You say we are a unit. <laughs> it's that's a plural. Uh, there's there's two involved there. Your heart becomes mine. My heart becomes yours. We can live together. No problem. I'm always busy for your desires. You're always busy for mine. Then we have no problem. Then we become one, even though there's two. So. We're talking about non-duality, but a very dynamic kind of idea of non-duality. Not a static non-duality, but a dynamic non-duality. In fact, the non-duality is, is kind of a static in that it's peaceful, shanti, 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 in comparison to the, to the madhouse of material life and the demands of our mind and senses that have us running here, there, and everywhere, and never getting the, you know, Getting a square meal, only an appetizer of what's, it's going to come. Just keep busy. <laughs> it's going to come. We never get fulfilled. Hmm? So to go from that to shanti, shanti, non-duality, rise above the dualities of desire and so forth. Oh, that's peaceful. But peace and clarity and so forth enables us, and objectivity enables us to enter into what? A mature relationship, as it might be said in today's society. Mature love, well-reasoned love. Well, not that it doesn't happen there, but did with Radha and Krishna, but teenage love. Uh, well thought out. You've had your plenty of experience. Maybe you've been in plenty of relationships, and you don't want to enter into one. Even you don't want to enter into one too much needy. You've already kind of figured that out. So, at any rate, love is reciprocal dealings. Hmm? This love we're talking about is wise love. Because you've risen above the ignorance of material existence, you've come to non-duality, and now you want to explore that non-dual, non-dual source that you, that you come from. What possibilities lie there? Is it just a quiet place where there's nobody else? Oh, it's only me, one. Some people settle there. They find their place there. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is talking about something else. There's more. He says, when you, when you look at Brahman, Brahman is a moment. Brahman is a moment in the Absolute. It's the Sat moment. Existence. You see, 
Short of Brahman, it's asad. It's not real. The sun will burn out one day and just be, and, and, and it won't even be a memory. Right? So it's not real. But Brahman doesn't burn out and it's, it's light forever. Hmm? Brahman, sat. This is a moment in the, in the life of the Absolute, sat. It's eternal. The Absolute is eternal. So that's no fear there. Now we're moving under some trepidation that we might not exist if we're not careful. But that's a misconception. So we come to Brahman. Oh, I'm peaceful. Whew. That's a relief. In Brahman, there is so much relief. I mean, it's a total and absolute relief from all of your anxieties, all of your fears. They're rooted in the fact that, that, that there's a kind of inborn denial of death, which is understandable because we actually don't die. The world seems to say that we do, but the reality is we don't. We're trying to counteract that, but we're, we have to go within rather than without. We have to stop accumulating and adding on to try to protect ourselves, but to let go, to find ourselves, and to find ourselves whether we're of the same nature as Brahman, we're consciousness, we endure. So this is a moment, if you will, in the life of the Absolute, I speak of it as a moment, for lack of a better word, but endurance, existence, eternality. It's attractive. And um, it's real. But it's not the only moment. Uh, the Absolute is not only existing, but it's cognizant also. There could be an existence that wasn't cognizant of itself. But if you have, a cogn if you have cognizance, then you have to exist too. So that's chit, sat-chit. Chit is another moment. And, in, in, and from existing to knowing, then some sense of individuality is, is developing. Knowing and, and personality. Some touch of personality is coming, knowing. So that this, this Brahman, from Brahman we go to Paramatma. Brahman is the goal of the, of the jnanis. And Paramatma, the yogis, Ishwar, when Chitta Vritti Nirodha is accomplished, then Bhagavat Vritti comes in the, in the Cheta, and there's identification with the Paramatma. And this is uh, Paramatma Sayuja, or, or, or it can come to Shantarasa. Paramatma is the, is the Vishayalambana, the object of love for the, for the in Shantarasa, a certain face of the Godhead. From this Paramatma, it's kind of like the, also considered like the oversoul of the world. So many avatars are coming to the world. So many coming. So we have Sat, Chit, and in Sat, in Chit, there's a little, little bliss. The bliss of relief. It's huge relief. So you might identify with, with bliss. Imagine, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but the whole show, all the struggle, it's over. It's forever and ever over, it's finished. You're at rest, you're at peace. Hmm? I mean, you'll cry for this, for sure, for just a glimpse of this. Hmm? Hmm. And you know, it's been a long time, longer than this life. There's been millions of lives, this whole affair. It's over. So that's some kind of indirect bliss. Hmm? And there's indirect love there, too, because you're not taking anymore. Hmm? No more taking. You've ended that. 
So from Brahman, but to Paramatma then, some development. Gita has shown this in a progression. Yoga Siddhanta. Come to identification with Paramatma. It can go as high as what we call Shantaras. It means like beatific vision. Something in, in Brahman is said to be no experience. So how much bliss is there? <laughs> but anyway, but in Paramatma, some experience. Beatific vision, as they say in Catholicism. But then we go to another idea. Joy. If there can be an existence that is not cognizant of itself, but if there is cognizance, it must exist. There may be a cognizant existence, but it doesn't have to be joyful. But if reality is ultimately joyful, ananda, then it has to exist and has to be aware of itself. So because the sutras say the absolute is ananda, joy, then it must have a moment, if you will, or a phase that represents pure existence, that represents pure cognizance, and that represents pure bliss, pure ananda. So Krishna is that and the Vishnu avatars, they represent that ananda. And Krishna represents the ananda to the extreme. Because that ananda is something, as I said, that needs to share, it has a need to share itself, right? Love, ecstasy to share itself. So the, the more it shares itself, the more accessible it makes itself, the more, the, the greater the, the drama, because it doesn't need anything. So again, I said, God doesn't need to eat. But in Leela, God eats. A necessity is there. It's really just ecstasy of wanting to be, to have reciprocal dealings, but it takes the form of God's eating, and we are offering that. What's really happening is, if the language there is all just love, bhava, ecstasy, but it takes a shape. This is Leela. And in Krishna Leela, we find what? That Krishna has the most needs. That's why he's the supreme. Sounds backwards, but he has the most necessity. He needs to eat so much. He, he's not satisfied with what his mother gives him. He feels, if I steal and eat, that'll taste better. There'll be more excitement to it. So he goes and steals the neighbor's butter and yogurt and so forth in the leela. So he seems very needy. Actually, he has no need. What this means is, when, he, when God is appearing most needy, he's most full. Because that neediness is the opportunity to serve. That is madhurya. That is sweetness. In other words, when God comes close to us, when God acts like us, needy that we are, then we get close to him. He can accept some, he doesn't need anything, but he makes a huge arrangement out of ecstasy to accept all kinds of things. It's really only love, but all kinds of love. This is Krishna. Akila Rasamrita Murti. You can, you can love Narayana like this. Om Narayana. Om Narayan, Om Tat Vishnu Paramam Param. Not like this. Hare Krishna. <laughs> That's not for Narayan. That doesn't go on there. Very sober kind of love. It's reverential love. Now, is reverential love the end of love, the whole expression of love? Not from our experience, at least not in terms of intensity. Romantic love is so intense. So Krishna Leela is a kind of, we find the absolute in romantic love. This is the extreme end. So needy, 
and therefore so much making himself available. That neediness is his giving, actually. The need, he's so much ecstasy that he has so much need to share it. That he would share love, and unless he can get intimate love, he's not satisfied. This is what Krishna says in the pen of the pen of Krishna that's Kaviraj. <laughs> he says, oh, the whole world worships me with Om and all these things. That doesn't I, that doesn't really do much for me. Huh? <laughs> in my expansion as Narayan, that's he he likes that, but there's a place for that and there are devotees like that. But I'm so ecstatic that I can't just sit there and be worshipped. I, I want to reach out and grab those people. Uh, my devotees, and I want to, I want to live in their hearts and uh, come outside of their hearts and embrace them. I want to get so cl- I'm, I'm the infinite. What a boring situation! <laughs> Everyone is finite. I'm infinite. I'm the, I'm, a, I'm infinite, and they're infinitesimal. Everything else, this is just un, unbearable. I manifested them for my the sake of my ecstasy, but because I'm so great, they can't even get close to me. Oh, there's some kind of love for that. Yes, it's some semblance of love. It's spiritual, and and there should be a place for those who have a penchant for that, and that's okay. But my position as Krishna, as Avatari, as the source of ecstasy, that, that can't satisfy me. So this is what Leela is. It looks like such a, such a, he looks so, he's not meditating. He's, I get again, he's frustrated. He wonders, does Radha love me or not? Does she love me? He's counting the picking the grass. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. And his friend Subal will come and say, Ah, she loves you, I think. I'm going to try to bring her here. And this Leela is going on in so many ways like this. Well, it's not an ordinary thing. It's not an ordinary story. If you understand the philosophy that underlies this, then, and you understand that it's a poetic expression of something that this philosophy that we're, we're talking about. As a, this is a natural result of the philosophy, necessity of the philosophy, that such a thing uh, should be going on. And then so we, then we try to talk about it in poetic language, and it's not precise language. It's not a like, literal type of expression. Neither can it be. Hmm? To capture the spirit of that. So they will tell the story of Krishna. You tell it in one way, another sadhu will tell it a little bit differently. Another or another, but what they're trying to tell is what is the ecstasy of that? What, what is this, uh, what, what is, what is the nature of Leela, Bhava, and how Bhagawan is making himself accessible? And they're like just overwhelmed by that, that reality, and, and, and trying to share that. They're writing books like this, Puranas and so forth, talking about the Avatar. In this case, Avatari, this is the Purana, the Bhagavad Purana, it's discussed, the Janamastami of Krishna, the birth of Krishna. And what they want to tell us is in such a way, they want to speak about it in such a way that we will be compelled to take that up and know in a way that was impossible to know rationally. Janma karma chame divyam. Divyam, this is from Gita. We read this morning. Divyam means not by reason will it be known. By power, divyam. By mysticism, by his grace. Something like that. By putting aside, you, you try to make a historical book out of this from, from a material Western perspective, you've really done a disservice to the whole book. It's, not, it's a different kind of history. It's a history of ecstasy. History of the life of ecstasy himself and his problems, his existential crisis, 
What am I? You see, this is the nature of God. How can we know God? God doesn't know himself. He's, he's full and ever-growing at the same time. Just like love. Love is full, but it always increases. This is the idea. So he, this is God depicted as having a big problem. <laughs> that is the full moment of God, the full expression of God. The less he has a problem, the less he has a need, then the less full the manifestation. Each one is full in itself and, and applies to a particular type of devotee who has a particular type of love. But nonetheless, if we were to step back and look at it objectively, this Krishna is really the center of the whole, the heartbeat of the whole thing, heartbeat of the Absolute. And after all, as I've said before, if you're going to play, you have to have, you have to pay, you have to have some money. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to come down there and play with me, you know, in <laughs> our cows, that's what we do here. You want to come down and play at the ashram, then uh, you have to have some time off, right? You've got to make sure you worked an extra day or something, and so you have to have some power to play. So the God that's depicted as only playing, he must have a lot of power. That is Krishna. He's not meditating to achieve anything. No. He, if he's trying to achieve anything, it's to, it's to, as I say, to share the ecstasy that he is, something like that. So the mystics in our tradition have depicted the absolute like this. They're talking about the birthday of ecstasy. Uh, it's it's hard, hard to talk about, but uh, so it has to be talked about poetically and so forth and so on. This is the idea. And the spirit of it is this, this Janamastami. The spirit is that we shall try, but that, that it will be talked about in such a way that we will be compelled to take up the transrational means of arriving at that space and that, that realization that Janamastami will take place, that Krishna will take birth, in our heart, will appear in our heart, something like that. This is the idea, that if he's attracted to love. If we position ourselves in relation to someone who loves him and whom he loves in yoga, then that person will be sympathetic to us, naturally. And out of that, through that sympathy, then Krishna's love will come into our heart, invisibly. And when he, and he comes from him first, you see. He loves us first. And as that little bit of love comes, then we start to love him. And we love him in relation to through whom he's come. Some attachment to the sadhu that's useful. That's very useful. That Krishna has come in a, in a, in a, as a, in his, like, it's like you talk about avatar. This is the kripa avatar, the mercy descent of the Godhead to the form of the sadhu who has some experience of our suffering, some empathy. Well, Krishna has some experience of our suffering. He's ecstasy personified. He's lost in ecstasy. As I'm trying to explain, his problem is he just has to share his ecstasy. The fact that we are suffering and all. That's why the material world from the vantage point of Krishna, it's, it's just Leela. We're thinking, it's pretty miserable. It's not very much play from my perspective. But we have the wrong perspective. And Sadhu comes to give us the right perspective. And he, had, he understands our perspective because he's passed through that also. That is yoga. He knows the suffering of others. She knows the suffering of others. And so if you have the same experience, obviously it's easier to have empathy, isn't it? Right, yeah, I know what you mean. 
and you can somebody can like unload on you and get some relief because you've had the same experience, so you can respond. So sadhu's kind of like that. You can just unload on him. He knows, yeah, it's bad. The material life is bad. I agree with you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bad thing. And it's tough, yeah. It's tough out there. So why are you doing it? <laughs> why are you hanging on? <laughs> I agree with you. Why don't you let go? Oh, yeah, that's it. Something like that. And then he, you know, or she personifies that kind of letting go on the one side. And by dint of, wow, grabbing on to the other side. Because it's a tall task to let go. It's not so easy. And we don't trust. We don't trust because everything we've attached ourselves and grabbed onto with hope has disappointed us. In one way or to one extent or another. That's why we we have some, we're a little gun shy, you know. Burnt one, what does it say, the song? Spitting twice, right? Yeah, there's a song. <laughs> Burns first, the hardest time, or something, I don't know. Something. First burn is the... Anyway, I heard it. <laughs> first cuts deep. Huh? First cuts deep. Yeah, somebody, that's, that's, that's the one, yeah. Um, so, um, so, yeah, we, we, we're, we're shy, you know. We're like, you know, like Sadhus, but Sadhus try to tame an, an animal, you know. I don't know if I trust a human being. So we're like animals. We don't know if we trust the sadhus. We're like a human animal, that's true. We've got our reasoning, which makes us doubt that much more. Not just by movement, but we doubt the logic. and we, so, so this is our... That's natural. So bring your doubts. That's the idea. If we're in touch with someone who doesn't have any doubts, then we feel we're in touch with someone who's happy. Because doubts are not happy. We want to dance, but... Doubting is suspends our animation. It puts us in, a, in, a, in a, on the freeze. We can't go forward. We can't. We can't move from our heart. We have to, you know. We sit here. We listen. We reason about what Swami says. You know, maybe I'll accept that. Maybe not that. I'm not sure about that. Did that last thing connect? Did that make sense? And we're kind of filtering it all through our reasoning and caution, proceeding with caution kind of thing, but um, we have to dismantle that kind of, and put the intellectual, let the, the sadhu's business is to like make the intellectual guard, you know, disappear. That's why people say, these people are crazy, you know, they, they, why are they following these, this, this Krishna, the invisible thing, and uh, they're not, they have no reasoning. He, so the sadhu, to one extent, suspends our reasoning, or gives us a, gives us a friendly feeling, so we can reason differently. And start to trust and grow. And from his or her heart, there should be real feeling, real compassion, real love. And that will come through even if, even if we try to filter it out. That you can't avoid. If someone has love for you, you can't avoid them. You can try, but still their, their love will go to you and touch you. So this is the business. Try to open, open the heart of, of, the, of the listener, of the, of the, of the oppressed self under the influence of mind and senses and uh, doubting and and understandably as i say it's, it's it's reasonable and we've been there so we know know it very well this is uh, not uncharted territory as well well you know he's crossed to the other side he knows the ocean he knows how the how the waves can rise and in the seasickness that we talked about earlier he, he or she knows about that and we have a sense of that by good company. They know. She knows. He knows. 
does it exist? What they're talking about. Indeed, if we look, it does it exist. There it is. <laughs> the Prahlads, the Chaitanyas, you know, the Hanumans. What ground are they standing on? These bhaktas, these devotees. What ground are they? Is it just is it invisible? Is there nothing is there no firm ground to stand on there? So firm, they're standing like pillars, like lighthouses, showing the way, like in the ocean, but they're lighthouses. Say the shore is over here, it's over here. Ride it out, it's over here, follow the light. Something like that. We are on shaky ground. That's our position. Here today and gone tomorrow. We put so much trust in it. Even though again and again and again it's disappointed us. You can't rely, you can't rely, can't. Still we're, we're relying, still we're trying. That is, that is delusion. Hmm? And again, well, so, it's so, anyway, that's so, 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 by good company. And that's the importance then of Sadhu Sangha. We can hopefully get some inspiration to cast ourselves into the invisible. But, the, but he's the, he or she is the visible manifestation of that. We get courage from that. So important to us then, that manifestation of God, the servitor manifestation of God, who personifies service. Like, if you want to be a guru, you know, then you've got to be a good servant because that's what it's all about. So some people say, well, can women be gurus? Anybody can be a guru, but you have to know a guru means a servant. Who's, who's serving, has a good capacity to serve, can teach about service. Guru means to teach, so. It's a serving uh, role, and, you know, that can be thankless sometimes. <laughs> but we never give up. So, any question? Yes. Um, I wanted to ask Gary, you, um, wanted to ask about uh, the representation of the deities. Hmm. You want to hear about the deities? Yeah, and just um, so wondering about, about the representation and the formalities I hear you say about brings us into ritual. I understand that, but I would like to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Okay. What is the time now? Six forty-five. I'm late. Right. <laughs> For the deities schedule. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll do the Arctic, hmm? that ritual, one of the ones you're talking about, accompanied by kirtan. I mean, if you could lead us into kirtan, and then um, and then what we'll do is after the kirtan, then we're going to see some slides of our ashram in Central America, and I'm going to talk about it, and then we're going to have another ritual where we're going to take a little one of the uh, a representation of Krishna in stone and bathe him in milk and yogurt and ghee and butter and so on. And then, and then after that I'll talk again and I'll take up your question at that time. All right? Sri Krishna Janamastavi Mahamotsavatiti Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktivinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanandi